Well, good morning. How you doing? It's good to see you. My name is Josh. If we have not met, I'm just one of the ministers, and so good to see you this morning. Welcome to those joining us online, and welcome to week one of Athens. We've just entered into the Advent season as a church, and again, I appreciate Trent's words this morning during communion, reminding us that this season brings us up to the moment that we celebrate and commemorate the moment of Christ's arrival in this world. But Advent is not simply looking back at his arrival, but looking forward to his eventual return. And so each week, for the next few weeks, we are going to look as a church at some very familiar, wonderful stories, wonderful traditions that we do. And as we said in the title, we're going to try to see Jesus behind everything. Now, this morning I want to start with one of my all-time Favorite, all-time favorite Christmas traditions. Show of hands, how many of you have and or decorate a Christmas tree? Anyone in here have or decorate? Oh, yeah. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. It's one of my all-time favorite traditions. In fact, it is one of those family moments that marks the beginning of the Christmas season, at least in the Diggs family. And every year I'll go and I'll dig out our Christmas tree from its storage spot in our garage. And I'll lug it into the house, into the living room. And my wife begins to pull out the many boxes full of the years and years and years of ornaments. And we begin to put them on the tree. This year was kind of exciting because every year we have a topper. And every other year our kids get to put one on. So Stephen does it on even years. And my daughter Emma gets to do it on the odd years. And so this year, Stephen is trying to put the tree topper on. He says, Dad, can you lift me up? I try. I can't do it. We almost take the tree out with us. And so I said, well, I'll bend the tree down so you can put it on, son. This is one of those beautiful traditions that we love in the Diggs household as we are layering and weaving all the memories in the branches. And the glow of the lights begins to light up the room. In a lot of ways, the Christmas tree is a centerpiece of Christmas. But can we just be real honest with each other for just a moment? Let's just let's stop with the churchy stuff for a moment. Can we just admit that the tradition of a Christmas tree is a really weird tradition? Like, who thought up the idea, let's go out into the woods, cut down a tree, we'll drag it back into our house, prop it up, this dead and dying tree, we'll put stuff on it, we will sing to it, and then when it is too crispy to be noticeable, we will take it back out and burn it. So real quick, before I share with you maybe a little bit more about the history of this thing we call the Christmas tree, just turn to someone real fast, share your theories or your ideas of how we came to this point. Go ahead. What do you think? Give a wild suggestion to someone around you. By the way, I can tell how confident you are by how loud you are or soft you are in your answers. I will say, and I won't say who, but someone I just heard overheard say, I'm confident alcohol was involved in it. <laughs> it's a strange tradition, but let me give you a little bit of the tr- history behind what we do every year. Because believe it or not, there's some significance to your walk with Jesus that I don't want you to miss this year. If you believe it or not, the tradition of the Christmas tree actually predates Christianity. It goes back a few thousand years Ancient pagan people during this darker time of the year would bring greenery into their homes, over their doorways, and around their windows to 
ward off. They believed that these greeneries, these plants, they had magical properties that would ward off witches, ghosts, evil spirits, illnesses, and even one's own in-laws. Maybe not that last one. The Egyptians used palms. The Greeks, the Romans, the Druids, and the Vikings, yes, Thor himself, used evergreens. And as time went on, they would use this as a way during the darkest seasons of the year to remember that spring was coming. Around 700 AD, the pagan greenery was replaced by the fir tree, which at this point had already become the symbol or a symbol for Christianity. Did you know that? The evergreen was a symbol for Christianity. Responsible for this change was St. Boniface, who converted the Germans into Christianity. Fun fact, many early Christmas trees were not put up like these, but rather they were hung upside down from the ceiling using chains. In the 11th century, Christians began hanging red apples in its branches, and they called these trees paradise trees, which reminded them of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Why? Because it is God who gives life, even in the darkest seasons of the year. Four centuries later, devout German Christians brought decorated trees into their homes. Now, you may be asking, well, what about the Christmas lights? Why do we have lights on our tree? Well, that tradition comes from 16th century Christian reformer Martin Luther. As he was walking home one winter evening composing a sermon, he was awed by the brilliance of stars twinkling amid the evergreens. And because of how beautiful the scene was, he wanted his family to see it. So to recapture that scene for his family, he put a tree in the main room and attached candles to its branches. Christmas trees became popular... In the United Kingdom, when Queen Victoria's husband, Prince Albert, brought one over from Germany in 1841, and he placed it right there in the middle of Windsor Palace, they posed in front of the tree with their children for a newspaper article, and it soon became fashionable all over the United Kingdom. Now, fast forward just another 10 years when the first Christmas tree lodge was opened in the United States in 1851 by a New York woodsman named Mark Carr. Today, Christmas trees are grown in all 50 states, and according to a 2019 survey by, and and I'm not making this up, by the American Christmas Tree Association... Did you know there was such a thing as the American Christmas Tree Association? Evidently there is. And in 2019, they did a survey. And they found that 77% of United States households display a Christmas tree in their home. And of those, 81% were artificial trees and 19% were real. Now, I think it'd be really fun to find out who in this church is Christian and who in here is pagan. Who's using a real tree or a false tree, right? So just real quick here, how many in here, just raise your hand if you have a tree in your home or will have a tree in your home. Raise your hand if it is a real tree. Let's see, real tree folk, look around. Okay, hands down. Artificial tree folk, hands up. Yeah, I'm one of you as well though. So it looks like at the 9.30, we are an artificial Christmas tree church. We need to pray and ask for forgiveness for that. Now, whether or not you use real trees or artificial trees, what I need you to know is that the Christmas tree is dripping with symbolism. It's not just the history. 
Did you know so many of the things that we do without even thinking about it are part of the tradition of the Christmas tree? Let me just give you a few. Did you know traditionally Christmas trees were ornamented with two colors, red and white? Red symbolizing the blood of Jesus and white symbolizing the purity of Jesus. And what about Christmas lights themselves? Yes, Martin Luther began it, but why is it that we use them now, just popularized for everyone? It's because Christians began to recognize that Jesus is the light of the world, and we will do whatever it takes to bring light into our homes because this world is dark. What about the topper that you and I see on so many trees? Well, the star symbolizes the star that led the wise men to the young child, Jesus In this room and in our home, we don't have a star. We actually have an angel, and maybe you do as well. Well, why an angel? Well, it reminds us that there were angels in the sky who proclaimed the good news that God had come, not as a conquering king, but as a small child accessible to all. And the joy that it brings. What about bells? Have any of you wondered, why is it at Christmas we have all these bells? And believe it or not, bells are not there to let us know when an angel gets its wings. That's not the reason we have bells. Bells are a symbol of joy because Jesus Christ is born. The world will never be the same. But bells also remind us that Jesus is our great high priest. You say, where does that come from? Well, the Jewish high priests and the Jewish priests in general, they wore a blue robe under their ephod, over, which was a covering. And at the end of their blue robe were affixed all these little gold bells. Jesus Christ is not a mere man. He is the King of kings and the high priest offering sacrifice for you and to me coming into the presence now of God. What's my point? Behind everything that you do this year is one figure who towers above all other figures and is not a tradition himself, is not a symbol himself, but he is the incarnate, meaning came in flesh, God man. And when we celebrate these traditions, they are not merely symbols of fun. They are symbols pointing us to God's presence with us that we have not been abandoned. There is hope. This symbol is more than just something fun to do. It reminds us that, hear me now, everything is spiritual. Everything you do, Scripture says, everything you and I do is spiritual. Your life is not divided in spiritual and secular. Sunday is not spiritual with Monday through Saturday being secular. But everything we do has a spiritual component to it that either draws us closer to God or draws us further from Him. And I don't want a tradition at Christmas to confuse you. I want us to see Jesus behind it so we can experience Jesus in it. Are you tracking with me this morning? And so for our remaining few minutes, I want to show you how the tree has been a part of God's plan from the beginning. And from the very beginning, God saw a tree in the future as part of his rescue plan. The first time that we see a tree is that a tree is used. One day would be crafted into the manger that cradled the king of kings. Now there's debate, was it wooden, was it stone? We don't know, but hear me now, this symbol of birth, the tree was carved into a manger that would hold the very king of the universe. The doctor, an author by the name of Luke, tells us that while Mary and Joseph huddled in the animal shelter, Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger. That's simply a feeding trough for animals. Now, why did she do this? 
We're told she did it because there was no guest room available for them. Luke goes on to say, while Mary was giving birth, out in the fields there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And they're terrified at this. I mean, who wouldn't be? It's pitch black. You have sheep, and then all of a sudden you have heavenly hosts. But the angel says, do not be afraid. Why? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. That word Messiah means chosen one. He's the one that we've been hearing about for centuries. And he's not only Messiah, but he's the Lord. This will be a sign to you, the angel says. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a... What is that word? A manger. Do you understand the hope that this, this symbol brings? Let's just talk for a moment about shepherds. We've talked about them before, but let's do it again. Shepherds were the outcasts and the untouchables of their culture. They were dirty, both physically and ceremonially, meaning they couldn't go to temple. They couldn't go to church because they were dirty. They worked around animals that had, well, what do animals do? They do do, right? So they're around that. They are dealing with birth and death all the time. They could not go to church. They were the untouchables. They were unclean. They were not literate. They were also untrusted by the common person. There was no chance in this world that a shepherd would be invited into a palace to witness the birth of a king. But a manger? They were around mangers all the time. Shepherds were welcomed at mangers because that's where the sheep would eat. And so when they hear the news that God has come in human form, the king is here, but you do not have to get past guards into the palace. Simply find your way to the most humble of places. Can you imagine what that told them? That Jesus, that God himself, is for everyone. The tree declares to us today that God is for everyone, no matter how big or small you are, how great or tiny, how rich or poor, how much people know you or don't know you or don't care. God cares for you because he came in a place that you could get to him. A few years later, the tree would be carved into the shape of a boat that would carry the Son of God. This wooden planks that were taken from a tree would be crafted into the boat. And can you imagine being the wood of that boat, hearing your creator telling the fish around you to dive into Peter's net. And on that fateful day, hearing the voice of God declaring to the storms, Be still. For anyone here in a storm this morning, the tree reminds you that the same God who came for us all is over all. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is creator and therefore has power over every storm you're facing. There's nothing too big for him. And in the same way he called the winds to be quiet, he can quiet the pain you're facing, the situation you were in. Another time, a tree was crafted into a pulpit for a Galilean preacher. This preacher, who everyone thought was just the good old boy from town, stood up one day in the synagogue and he declared that he was anointed by God to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the Lord's goodness. The tree reminds us that Jesus came to bring God's favor, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. For anyone who feels condemned this morning, the tree reminds us 
that Jesus came to bring God's favor to you. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, John 3, 17 says, but to rescue, to save, to redeem the world through Jesus Christ. The tree reminds us that God has come with his favor, the forgiveness of sins and life with him. And finally, on a hill outside of the city of Jerusalem, a tree would be erected into a cross that would lift up the Savior of the world. Peter, one of Jesus' best friends in the book of Acts chapter 10, gives us the significance of this moment. He says they put him, they put Jesus to death by hanging him on a tree. They hung him on a tree. And Paul the Apostle then says, let me tell you why this is so significant. In Galatians chapter 3, he says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now what is that? The law tells us what is right and wrong. The law, all the way down from when we were little children, the law was not something written, but it was the spoken voice of your parents, right? When you were a little kid, who was the law in your house? It was your dad, it was your mom, maybe it was an aunt, maybe it was a grandparent, but someone above you told you what was right and what was wrong, and you knew what was true based on what they told you. And so whether it's spoken or it's a written law, there is a law out there that tells us in here that we have broken the law. We have sinned against God. We've sinned against one another. We've even sinned against ourselves. How many of us have some of the greatest regrets in our life, not because of what we've done to someone else, but because of what we've done to ourselves? The lies we've told ourselves, the secret sins we participate only with ourselves, the things that we've done to rob ourselves of life. We are under a curse because we have broken the law. But Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Why? For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The tree reminds us that there is a curse And there is a curse upon the one who is hung on the tree. And Jesus Christ, when you and I are cursed because of our sin, Jesus Christ says, I will go to the tree and I will be hung on the tree, taking your sin on me and giving to you life. This tree wasn't hung with handmade ornaments. It was dressed in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. This tree wasn't illuminated with glowing lights from a string. It held up the light of the world himself. This tree supported the Son of Righteousness, with outstretched arms as a symbol of the healing in his wings as Malachi 4.2 proclaimed he would. And in a few weeks, when Christmas Day is passed and you get to that point to take the ornaments off and pack up the tree, that tree reminds us that the cross, like your tree, is empty. That the King of Kings did not stay on it That death could not hold him, sin could not defeat him, Satan has no hold on him, and because of what he did on the tree, death will no longer have sway in your life, but victory comes because of Jesus Christ. The tree reminds us that there is hope because of Jesus Christ. But hear me now. Christmas is not about a tree. Christmas, as we will see over the next few weeks, is not about any one tradition. Christmas is about Jesus Christ. And I'm just afraid that too many of us are crushed at Christmas. How many of us 
want to fully participate in all the things we, we rabidly seem to go from tradition to tradition, hoping that maybe if we do enough of the traditions, if we see enough tinsel, if we watch enough Christmas movies, if we experience enough moments with other people, then maybe we will feel the hope we feel we need. Maybe we'll feel the love, the joy, whatever it may be. But friends, if you don't hear anything else, hear this one thing. Our hope is not in a dead tree. Our hope is in a risen Savior. And so this season, as we come into it, and as you gather with your friends or family in your home or someone else's, and you see a tree, even those behind us, may this symbol remind you of the one who stands behind everything. And that hope has a name. And that is Jesus Christ.